Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to the book of Amos. Book of Amos. We're going to read the first verse, and then we're going to go to chapter 3, and then we're going to go to chapter 5, and then we're going to go back to chapter 1. As you read the Old Testament prophets, they read very much like modern-day newspapers. Amos is addressing the powers that lived in his day, powers who had great prominence and who in many ways thought themselves were above the law. People had become very comfortable and thought they were in control, but without any accountability. The rulers gave to the people, but that which they gave to the people brought a benevolence that they believed required the people to have loyalty, almost a payoff for what they were doing in their lives. And as I read the book of Amos, the theme that came to my mind was this, drain the swamp. Because Amos is talking to a group of people that are living outside God's intention for their lives. They have become so self-sufficient and so comfortable in their own righteousness that they have forgotten about God. And in the midst of their power, they have oppressed those who were below their standing and have even violated their people. Amos chapter 1, verse 1, gives to us a background of this little prophecy. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the great earthquake. Now, when we start a book like this, we have to look at some background, and I, I trust that it gives to us a foundation so that we can understand something about how Amos is prophesying to his people. Amos was written somewhere between 792 and 740 B.C. And as identified in the first verse, it was written under Uzziah, king of Judah. Remember Uzziah? Uzziah was the one that Isaiah prophesied about. In the days of King Uzziah, he was a good king. And yet Jeroboam in Israel, the the northern kingdom was a king that took his people into idolatry. In the midst of this, there was political stability and prosperity in the kingdoms, but that led to idolatry, extravagance, and corruption, even apostasy and social injustice in Amos's day. Now, Amos means 
burden. And as a shepherd, a herdsman, and if you go over to chapter 7, verse 14, you also discover that he had the charge of some sycamore trees, and so he was a forester. In the midst of this burden, he came from Tekoa, which is just five miles from Bethlehem, so he lived below Jerusalem in the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, as you read this book, you discover that there are six nations plus Judah and Israel that are addressed. We're going to talk about them this morning. And as you get over to chapter 5, you discover, or chapter 7, 8, and 9, I'm sorry, chapter 7 and 8 and 9, you find five visions that Amos was given, which helped him identify the people of God. Now, there are two messages that Amos gave to us. The first message is found in Amos chapter 3, verse 3. Will you turn there, please? Amos 3, 3. The ESV, which I have in front of me, interprets this verse, do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? You know, that's, that's pretty good. Unless you agree to meet, you, you can't walk together. Now, if you were to look at the New Living Translation, it says this, can two walk together unless they have agreed on a direction? That too identifies the necessity of walking together. But I memorized it in the King James, and I like what the King James and the New King James and the Authorized Standard Version tells us. It simply says, can two walk together unless they are agreed? Because you cannot walk hand in hand with God. And the message is, if you want to walk with God, you must agree with God. It's not that God agrees with us. It's not that we say, come on, God, I'm going this direction. It's that God has given us direction for our lives. And if you and I want to walk with God, we need to agree with God. Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's agreeing with God. Paul wrote to Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. The message that permeates this book is if you want to walk with God, you must agree with God. There's a second message that permeates this book. Turn over to chapter 5, will you please? And that message is this. Seek the Lord to find real life. Look with me at verse 5. The end of verse 4, I'm sorry. Seek the Lord and live. Verse 6, seek the Lord and live. Verse 14, seek good and not evil that you may live. Did you catch it there? Amos says, seek me the Lord and live. He says, if you want to live, you need to seek the Lord and if you really want to leave, you need, live, you need to seek good and not evil that you may 
live. And so the second message that winds its way through this book is if we want to know what real life is all about, we need to seek the Lord. Remember that little chorus, real life in Christ, abundant and free, what glory shine, what joys are mine, what wondrous blessings I see, my past with its sin, the searching and strife, forever gone, there's a Bright new song, for in Christ I have found new life. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? New creation. Old things are passing away. Behold, all things are become new. And as we said in the ABF, our, that's progressive sanctification in our lives. If you really want to find life, seek the Lord. Because that's, what you dis- that's where you discover what True living is all about. Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Now, I want to give you an outline for the book. The first couple of chapters help us study history. We discover how God judged nations and how he was going to judge Judah and Israel, and we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Chapter 3 talks about walking together with God. Next week, we're going to talk about what it means to walk with God and how we can walk with God in our lives. Amos then addresses the sins of the people. And we find that in chapters 3 through 8. But through the whole book, you discover the mercy of God. It is indeed a book of hope. Jump over to chapter 3 and let me just give you an illustration of this. Verse 12. Thus says the Lord, as the shepherd rescues from the mouth of the lion two legs and a piece of ear, so shall the people of Israel who dwell in Samaria be rescued. That's God's mercy. And that is God not giving to the people what they deserved. But recognizing that they were a people of his own choosing. Aren't you thankful for the mercy of God this morning? Jeremiah tells us in Lamentations, it is because of the more... Lord's mercies were not consumed. Great is his faithfulness. And you and I are here today because of the mercy of God in our lives. Amen? And it is evidenced time and time and time again. And even though we struggle and even though we should be consumed and even though there are things in our lives that should overwhelm us, it is God's mercy. And as we read Amos, we discover time and time and time again that God's mercy stepped in and rescued his people. God's mercy was evidenced in history with his people. God's mercy was evidenced in the lives of his people. Never forget the mercy of God. And then the last chapter, chapter 9, tells us about the restoration. The promised restoration where God would restore his people to the land that he promised them. Now we're dealing with Uzziah, and we are dealing with Jeroboam, and both of these nations are going to be taken into captivity, but God's going to bring them back. 
and he has promised to restore them and put them in the land that he had given to them. Now go back to chapter 1, please. Because this morning we want to study history. And Amos outlines a lot of history for us. Now, it is proper that we do study history. Because Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction. You and I need to be able to look at what has happened around us so that we can understand that there is something better for us. Someone once said the only thing we learn from history is that we don't learn from history. It was Harvard professor George Santana that said, those who cannot learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Now, if you were here last week and you heard Pastor Jackson talk to you, he talked about the big idea. So let me give you the big idea today, all right? The big idea is that history should teach us about what happens when nations and people do not walk with God. And we ought to learn from that. Don't you hate it when you keep making the same mistake over and over and over again? I used to write checks. How many of you remember writing a check? And I never liked going into the new year. Because I never could remember to change the date. And if I was going from 2017 to 2018... I can't tell you how often I wrote 2017 on that check. And you know what happened every year? Whether it was 17 to 18 or 16 to 17 or 15, happened every year. God has given to us examples in history so that we can learn. God has given nations examples in history so that nations can learn. And you and I need to drain the swamp. Learning from history and not repeating the same mistakes. Now as we work our way through Amos chapter 1 and Amos chapter 2, we are going to discover that there are some nations. And I, I want to show you where those nations are so that you have an idea on the map. We first deal with Damascus, Syria. And then we move down to Philista, Gaza. And then we move up to Tyre. Then we move down to Edom and Moab. I'm sorry, Ammon and then Moab. And then finally... Amos deals with Judah and Israel. So you see on the map that all of these nations are surrounding each other. And as you look at this, you discover that these nations were the one that hemmed Israel in when they went into the promised land. And they had great influence on the people of Israel. 
and cause them great trouble. Now this morning, I don't want to take all the time that it would take to investigate all of the history. But I do want to look at each of these nations very, very quickly today and see how God judged them and to see why God judged them. In Amos chapter 1, look with me at verse 3. Thus says the Lord. Now, I want you to pick that up, will you please? Thus says the Lord. Repeat that with me, will you? Thus says the Lord. One more time. Thus says the Lord. When God says something, people ought to listen. When God says something... It will take place. When God says something, it is said with great authority. And it is said with the understanding that it will be accomplished. Thus says the Lord. And in each of these situations, God has a message to these nations. There's something else that we're going to find in these nations. You're still in verse 3? For three transgressions of Damascus and for four. We will find that phrase repeated. For three transgressions and for four. Now, God is not checking off one, two, caution, 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 three, four, you're done. But what Amos is trying to tell us here is that God recognizes what's going on in these nations. It is not that God is not observing history. And God has his eyes upon these nations recognizing what they have done. Verse 3, for thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. So I will send fire upon the house of Hazel, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. I will break the gate bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Avon. And he who holds the scepter of Bethan And the people of Syria shall go into exile and incur, says the Lord. Now let me just give you a synopsis of that. The reality was that Syria was a brutal nation. And they were known for their brutality. Hazel is the king of Damascus. And they had gone into God's people with iron instruments, and they tore and mangled the people, literally. That's the kind of people they were. And because of that, God was going to send judgment upon them. And verse 4 says he's going to send fire upon the house. That phrase, too, is repeated in these prophecies. Verse 6. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four, 
I will not revoke the punishment. Because they carried into exile a whole people to be delivered up to Edom. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Gaza. And it shall, be, and it shall devour her strongholds. I will cut off the inhabitants of Ashdod. And him who holds the scepter, the scepter from Ashkelon, I will turn my hand against Ekron, and the remnants of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord. We could go to Second Chronicles chapter 21 and chapter 28, and we could find the history of Gaza or Philistia. And they captured and sold God's people to the enemies. Of Israel. Jeroham invaded Judah and devastated the country. Tyre, Phoenicia. Verse 9 Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they delivered up a whole people to Edom. And did not remember the covenant of the brotherhood. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre and it shall devour her strongholds. If you study history, you discover that Tyre had an agreement, a relationship, a covenant with God's people. That was made with David and Solomon. And you can read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 5 and 1 Kings chapter 5. And yet they sold the people of God to others. Verse 11, thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Eden and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because he pursued his brother with a sword and cast off all pity, and his anger tore perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. So I will send fire upon Teman, and it shall devour the, strong, the strongholds Eden had pursued his brother with the sword. Verse 13, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Amorites and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead that they might enlarge their border. So I will kindle fire in the wall of Rabrah. And it shall devour her strongholds with shouting on the day of battle, with the tempest in the wind of the whirlwind. And their king shall go into exile, he and his princes together. Ammon was related to Israel. And yet they're receiving God's judgment. Chapter 2. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Moed and for four, I will revoke the punishment. Because he burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. And I will send fire upon Moab, and it shall devour the strongholds of Kirith. And Moab shall die amid uproar, amid shouting and the sound of the trumpet. I will cut off the ruler from the midst and will kill all its princes with him, says the Lord. Now as we have looked at these six nations we have discovered that God's judgment would come upon them. And the lesson is this. Keep your hands off God's people or be judged by God. 
And these nations had not recognized God's blessing upon his people, had violated them, and now God is judging them. Now, as we read that, and as we read these nations, we'd say, go God. Right? Get them, God. They deserve it. Vengeance is yours. Take it out on them, Lord. Wipe them out. Do your work, God. But God's not done speaking. He now speaks to his people. Judah, the southern kingdom, verse 4 of chapter 2. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will revoke the punishment. Why? Because they have rejected the law of the Lord. Because they have not kept his statutes. But their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. God says, wake up, my people. Wake up because you've rejected my law. Wake up because you've not kept my statutes. Wake up because you've walked after the lies of your fathers. You know, it's God's law and God's statutes that ought to direct our lives. It's God's law and God's statutes that ought to guide our path. It's God's law and God's statutes that should be flowing forth from our hearts. And yet God comes now to the people of Judah and says, you're no better than the other heathens. You're no better than the Gentiles. You're no better than those who violated you, because you violated me. And because of that, judgment will come. We know that happened. Because God sent Babylon in to take the southern kingdom off. They lost their land. But not only does Amos have a message for Judah, he also has a message for Israel. Verse 6, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go in to the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been 
sold righteousness for silver. What's that mean? That means that they got tangled up with materialism instead of being holy and righteous before God. They sinned as they despised the poor. They thought themselves better than the other nations. And yet God didn't choose them because of who they were. God chose them simply because he loved them. They had soiled relationships. A man and his father go into the same girl. So that my holy name was profaned by Amos writes. And they sacrificed to pagan gods. We'd say, go God, get the Gentiles, get the heathens. They deserve it. But yet Amos is reminding God's people that they too are under the judgment of God. And the reality is, when God's people reject God and his word, they too will face the judgment. Thus says the Lord, in a great prosperity, in a great time of peace and what could have been thought of was blessing. God's people turned from God. You know, prosperity in our lives can bring a number of things. Prosperity in our lives can cause us to forget our God. Prosperity in our lives can cause a failure to seek God. And prosperity in our lives can cause us to forsake God's truth. You and I have been blessed, aren't we? We are indeed a blessed people. But I wonder if that prosperity is more a curse than a blessing. Because how easy is it to forget God and to fail to seek Him and to forsake His truth in our lives because we are so sufficient. Drain the swamp. (laughs) You've heard that phrase before. And as we have heard that phrase, many of us would say, yeah, go get them. But I wonder if we have thought about the swampiness in our lives and the stagnation that that swampiness brings to our Amos had two messages. Number one, if you want to walk with God, you've got to agree with God. Simple message. And number two, seek the Lord and find real life. 
And that is available to all of us. Now I want to give you a take-home truth. And your take-home truth is this. History is our teacher. And we must learn and observe so that we can properly walk with our God. You've heard me say, I only know what I know. And I don't know what I don't know. But I can look back on my life. And I can see where I walked away from God. And I won't do that again. It is not a comfortable place to be. Can two walk together except they be agreed? And I want real life. And so I want to seek the Lord with all of my heart, with all the soul, all of my life. Amos isn't an easy book. <laughs> Let me encourage you to read it this week. But as you read it, read it recognizing that throughout the difficulty of Amos's message, God's mercy is still evidenced. And God promised to restore his people and he no matter how far away they seem to be.